to show. What's up, everybody? This is Dante with another episode of Ultimate Podcast, and this week's guest is Tiana Taylor. And Tiana is a blue belt jiu-jitsu competitor and also a co-operator of Stealth BJJ in Madrid and Jits in the City. Also a sponsored athlete with XS Mouthguards and Smooth Flow Fightwear. So we're going to go ahead and get the show rolling. So Tiana, how are things? Hello, Jake. Thank you for having me. So I read your your blog a little bit, kind of get like a little bit of a feeling for you and and get a sense of where you've come from and where you've been. One of the things that fascinated me with reading just your story was um, you started in jiu-jitsu at a later age. I think it was 29? Yeah, 29. Yeah, 29. I'm 35 now. Okay, well, you know, I wouldn't have guessed that. Oh, you're too kind. <laughs> I think, honestly, I looking at, you know, again, reading, seeing you started at 29, and I think I saw I saw somewhere maybe, you know, kind of a time period of how long you were training, but it still didn't add up the age for me in my head. But at 29, what caused you to want to get into jiu-jitsu at that point? Well, a few years, it was about 2010, I was doing some fitness stuff with a guy I knew. And um, this was in the UK because I live in Madrid now, but I am obviously, as you can tell by my accent, I am actually British. And I was doing some fitness um stuff one-on-one with him and we happened to be in um like a muay thai and bjj gym so i knew a little bit about bjj but um not very much at all and um when i was 29 the guy who uh, ran that gym um said to me you know would you be interested in just coming down and trying a class and i had more interested in it in it this time round because my partner at the time was a purple belt and um i wasn't doing jiu-jitsu when i met him and i was traveling around the uk with my partner who's now actually my coach and i was watching like these girls fight and i thought they were incredible but I didn't think it was something I'd really be able to do myself. Um, So I was intrigued and that's what got me to do my first class. And I was crap. I was utter shite for a very, very long time. But I just kept going back. Something just told me to keep going back, keep going back. And it was just the encouragement from from my first instructor, a guy called Mabsy, lovely, lovely guy. And I think Also, because my partner was in the BJJ world as well, that contributed to me um, taking it up. That's it's interesting that you know to hear that. Just again at at that age, and then then being intrigued and interested in Mm. even seeing that because most women, most people, period, you know, they'll they'll see people fighting and most people are going to steer away from that or most people have this ideal of well i know how to fight i you know that that stuff wouldn't work on me as opposed to looking and say oh like like you thought i'll never be able to do that but let me go try it out yeah (laughs) i 
there's one particular competition that sticks into my, in my mind and I remember seeing these, uh, they were white belt girls and they were by the mat side and a fight was just finishing and they were about to be called on and I was just mesmerised. I had no idea what they were doing because I didn't know the terminology of jiu-jitsu. I hadn't actually started yet. As I said, I was travelling around the UK with my partner um, but I was just like, this is amazing. Don't know what that move is but the other girls tap in so I know that's a good sign <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah so I thought what have I got to lose and just I gave it a go well, that's good. good good when you got started did you have any you know what were some of your earlier concerns besides you know thinking well you know I don't think I can do that you know but I'm going to try it but um you know did you have any you know, reservations, you know, after the first couple classes or, you know, kind of doubts early on? I had a lot of doubts. I had a lot of doubts. I was thinking I will never be any good at this. Um, I have, I generally am quite an anxious person and I was pretty anxious before training because it was also new to me and everyone else was much more experienced. And also I was the only girl at the time. There was another girl who trained quite sporadically, but she wasn't very consistent. So my training partners were a lot bigger than me. Um, so I've um, learned some benefits of having being bigger training partners since, especially men. But at the time, it just felt like I couldn't get anything because even when my coach, Mabsy, was just playing with me and letting me, you know, work positions, work transitions, etc., um, I was just, yeah, I was just really, really poor. And um, I'm the kind of person who needs to practice a technique 100 times, whereas someone else might get it in 10. I'm, I'm that person. As am I. It I have to, I have to drill a technique over and over and over and over. Otherwise, yeah. I just don't get it. I also have to physically do it. I can't just watch, like you know, people who watch YouTube videos for hours, and you know, then they come in, you know, and they they physically go and do it. But I watch YouTube videos. Nothing's gonna stick. I have to, I have yeah. to walk through it. You have to talk me through it as I'm physically doing it. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I, I'm exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's I, I think that's something good for you know for our 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 sport, I think. Again, there are lots of people who can just pick it up by watching or pick it up by even hearing what to do. But I think because it is a physical sport, you know, mm -hmm. you know, we're kinetic learners, you and I. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think that's especially important and helpful for us because at, at least for me, I know I, when I get sweat in my eyes, I just basically just keep my eyes closed the entire role and just keep going. And I think that's where that comes into play for individuals like ourselves who have to physically do things and rely on our, our sense of touch. So, yeah. yeah, I aim to drill so that even if my mind forgets, my body remembers. Because I, I would drill and I'd rather be um, really good at executing a smaller number of techniques than being kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none. Do you say that in the States? We say that in the UK yes. a lot. Yes. Yeah. I, I've I heard it at least. I don't know how often. <laughs> I, because obviously if you're doing loads of different techniques, but you're doing them to a level that's really, really average, like... Mm -hmm. 
in competition, pulling that off is going to be much harder. Whereas if you're really confident in the in the um, lesser number of techniques that you have, then you know that can you can have a lot of success in competition. But obviously, as you go through the rank system, the higher up you go, especially towards you know brown, black. And even purple, you know, you have to expand your repertoire, as it were. Um, mm -hmm. Even if you don't execute those techniques, you need to have knowledge of them in order to, you know, progress. Definitely. I feel like what also goes into, kind of goes into that as well. Like you're saying, going to the higher levels, you, you want to have that bigger vocabulary exactly. of things. But they you know, the, the higher levels tend to have some, you know, a handful of moves that they know very, very well. Yeah. Uh, it's like in basketball, when my friend and I, we used to play basketball when we were younger and we talk about, you know, who's the ideal player, what's, you know, the best kind of player to have on your team or what's the best kind of team. Do you want to have a rebound specialist, you know, a score and a defensive player, you know, and those three are really good at what they do, or do you want, five players who are good at those things, just, you know, good enough at those things, but not, you know, like an expert at those things. Yeah. Um, you know, you tend to run into those situations where you also have too much information going up there. If you try to master or not master, but if you try to learn so many things and not master a couple things, once you get out there, you'll, you'll go through uh, paralysis by analysis you'll yeah. overthink it and just yeah. freeze at least i do yeah. that, that's what happens to me um yeah so early on you know through as i was reading it looks like you you went through uh some some health complications as well you you might you know you're comfortable talking about that and sharing with us yeah, I have a condition called cyclical vomiting syndrome, which means um, for no reason at all, I get really, really bad nausea. And at times I'm actually physically sick. And um, I needed surgery for this. It was about, I think it was a couple of months after I've start, after I first started BJJ. And, but a couple of months in, I could barely even shrimp. And then I had surgery, so I needed six months off. And um, when I came back, it was like starting from the beginning, starting from scratch. And because I learned very, very slowly. So I had um, had surgery for that. That's not something that affects me too much now. But when I do have episodes of it, I do need to take quite strong medication. Um, it's very, very expensive in Spain. So I get it from the UK. Um, but that doesn't cause me too much bother. But it did. It did back here, especially 2013. That was a terrible year for it. And um, yeah, I had problems with severe headaches as well. And that was I can't remember what year. But we'd I'd actually arranged to fly out to Florida um with my partner and train at fight sports in Miami with cyborg and um I wasn't very well um in the run-up to going I was having such severe headaches and um I had tests for brain tumors and I had several brain scans and they were all okay and I got I got the okay to fly but unfortunately when I was in uh when I was in 
Miami, I got a phone call from my neurologist to say that I needed to go to hospital and I needed to go right away, but he wouldn't tell me what was wrong. And I just said to him, well, you told me I was fit to fly. So like, what's this about? And he said, just go to the hospital and call me when you get there. So um, I did that. And then the first thing I'm thinking is it's the United States, your healthcare, you don't have universal healthcare. So I get out my credit card to only to realize it expired the month before because it's the credit card I only use when I travel. Um, so I went to the emergency room, jumped in a taxi, went to the emergency room and I put, I called back my neurologist and put him on the phone to one of the doctors and it wasn't actually anything to do with my brain, it was to do with my cortisol levels. They were so, so low that it was apparently amazing I was still alive so the doctors are automatically thinking this is this is a lab error this because I I was I mean I was really really distressed because Miami is not exactly around the corner from the UK and um, to get this news when I was was there was not good and um, this was the second day in as well. Um, and I saw the junior doctor, I saw a more senior neurologist, and I saw the most senior neurologist. And they all agreed there's no way this cortisol reading can be correct because you would be literally dead or about to die. And I was talking, I looked normal, um, but they did my vital signs and stuff. And it did turn out to be a lab error. So I did take legal action against that hospital um, but it also meant that I couldn't train while in Miami because I needed to be retested and they weren't prepared to do that in the states because by the time the results came in even doing it through ER I would have been back in the UK so they um, they said go back home when you're back home get retested but I'm pretty you know sure that this is just a mistake but I, I do understand why my neurologist called me because if it wasn't a mistake and I just say I died while I was in the US it's 100% his fault my neurologist's fault if he informs me when I'm abroad and I decide not to go to ER and then I die then that's partially my fault so he was trying to cover his back but it completely ruined the holiday um sure. so uh, yeah, and I didn't get to, I, I just got to, I met Cyborg, really, really nice guy. Um, my boyfriend trained at Fight Sports. I watched him train, um, but it's not really a holiday I enjoyed because obviously I was really stressed and stress causes me headaches and my headaches were getting worse because of this news. So came back to the UK and I actually found out that I had a problem with um, the nerves at the top of my, in the back of my neck and I had acupuncture specifically for um, nerve issues and that sorted me out yeah okay yeah that's I wouldn't know how to react to that like like I said I think a lesser person would have especially that early on in training would have caved in just like I don't think this is for me I think a lot of people look for excuses though not to do something even if they commit yeah. to doing something so yeah. I, I'm glad you know, it, it all turned out okay for you. And I'm, and I'm especially glad that was an error, although that would have been, uh, you know, a, a crazy thing too, where they're like, yeah, your levels are so low, you shouldn't be alive. 
was like, well, here yeah, I am. Yeah, it was crazy. My, my level was something like 16. And that is, I can't remember what the normal range is, but I think the minimum is something like between 200 and 997, something like that. So, yeah. Again, that's that's amazing that, you know, you power through it and, you know, it all turned out for the better in the yeah. long run. So I'm glad to hear that. And even while in Miami, well, first off, that, that says to me, you know, I got family in Miami. Uh, uh, that says to me not to get sick down in Miami because well, I, did, what- I did get, um, a, I think it was an $850 um, medical bill. But because I had travel insurance and I like to cover my back, I did call my travel insurance company and said, I'm, mm. I'm going, I'm due to go to Miami. Um, but I've been getting really severe headaches. And they said to me, well, headaches isn't on our list of like conditions. I said, yeah, but can you still make a note of it anyway, just because of how severe they, they've been? And thank God I did, because I didn't have to, my insurance paid for the hospital bill. I've seen some of the, um, well, just my own explanation of benefits for having to use coverage and go to the doctor and there's some things I'm just like, hey, that back that that saline solution that you use in the IV bag, like, why did you charge me a hundred dollars for that? I can get that over at Target for like six bucks. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna harp on the overpricing of medical stuff here. It could just get into an ugly conversation, and and not only that, I don't know enough, and I know somebody will send me a message like. You don't know nothing. Shut up. And I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> There's, I don't. One, isn't there? There's always one. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? That's fine. I accept that I don't know things. And I let everybody know early on, hey, I don't know anything, but I'm going to say something anyway. And then they're like, yeah. you're right. You don't know anything. You should probably never <laughs> say things again. I'm like, okay, fuck off. And you said that was, you know, everything kind of started about two months into training for you. Yeah, it was my, my, it was particularly the cyclical vomiting syndrome that was really bad two months in. So mm. then I had, I had my surgery and um, had about six months off, about six months off. Okay. And then um, working in academia, it was, it was a tough job. And that had quite a lot to, d- to do with me leaving the UK as well, because I had so much marking to do that it sometimes meant I couldn't train. And I get on a lot better with that in Spain because everything's later. Like because of COVID at the moment, our Nogi class is at 10 to 10 in the evening. So and uh, normally it's at 9.30. So it's 20 minutes later to allow for deep cleaning. But I prefer a much later timetable because you finish work, you've got a bit of chill out time. And I purposely found um, a flat right by the gym. And that's another thing that I was wondering too. How's everything? as far as training goes with COVID, I, you know, I heard you say, you know, you had some extra time for additional cleaning. Yeah. Like how's, how's the class size? Are you at full capacity for class size or is it limited? It's limited to, I think it's, yeah, 12 plus the instructor. Yeah. So 13. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that's ours as well. I believe ours is either 10 or 12 i can't remember i think when i count the spaces in the room i believe we have six on each side so 12 because we have little boxes 
and you know everybody gets a box and you know you do your solo drills there now we're starting to kind of loosen up and get back to training with partners but you have one partner and yeah. that is it yeah you, you don't don't rotate around to anyone else yeah which i like that I, I'm, I'm comfortable with that because there's only a couple people that i have actually felt comfortable with training with so I'm okay with that personally on my end. So I want to also kind of get into competitions and, and ask you a little bit about that because one of the, one of the first things when, you know, I spoke with you, uh, you know, I I think we kind of talked about your battle, you know, back up and, you know, through adversity and then competing as well. So um, when, when did you have your first competition? uh october 2017 okay okay i got tapped in one minute 15 by a girl who had been competing for five years so i didn't feel too bad but i was just so excited to compete (laughs) because i had wanted to for so long but i had so many health problems that it just wasn't possible um so i absolutely love competing Good, I love competing. I do get nervous, but because um, I live generally in quite a high state of anxiety, it's just how I feel most of the time. Like it's really strange because I'll I'll watch UFC, and it's like it's me in the cage. I get my emotions are like really intense. So when I compete, I do feel nervous, but because I'm a nervous person anyway, it's just like another day. So I do compete a lot. I had um, I had ACL surgery in February, and um, because of COVID, there aren't really competitions this year anyway. Um, I know the Pan Ams was on, but I, you know, my knee's not fully recovered, and now I don't think it's the best time to be flying. So I'm gonna really make sure my knee is better. Okay. I was I was really really disappointed because. I I had done six competitions in eight weeks and I signed up for the Europeans for January this year. But then I blew out my ACL um, three days after I signed up. But the IBJJF did give me a refund. So every cloud. <laughs> well, that's good. I, I've heard mixed stories about getting refunds back from them or, you know, whether people do get a refund or they don't or they get a credit um, things like mm. that, or, you know, sometimes not even. So I, I think that's cool that, you know, you love doing it. And even though you get nervous, mm. you don't let it affect you that we, we share a lot of similarities, but that's not one of them. Um, <laughs> well, the thing is, the reason I compete a lot is to advance my jiu-jitsu. Because for example, if you ask me what happened in a role, uh, two weeks ago with somebody in the gym, I wouldn't be able to tell you because I don't remember. If you ask me what I can tell you what happened in a competition last year though. So I, I do have I do have issues with my memory, but because because in competition I'm so focused and it's kind of like do or die. I I'm I'm much more in the moment and um and yeah I'm much more mindful of what I'm doing. And I, as soon as I step on the mat, I feel like a completely different person. The, the worst bit, though, is being at the mat side when you're waiting for the ref to go like this. To ask you on the, on the mat. 
Only once. I've had to. T- I've had to take out my mouth guard because I thought I was going to be sick. That's happened once because I was so nervous. But normally, I, yeah, I don't really get nervous. And having done the Europeans, um, I placed second in two thousand and what year are we to uh, last year? Yeah, two thousand nineteen. I came second in my weight class in the Europeans. I I wasn't nervous. It was, but I was <laughs> I was also not nervous because I nearly missed my bracket because I was in the warm up area downstairs, and I went to get some water, and I saw that my bracket had already started, and I was like, shit! It was the only time a competition is like a run ahead of time. Um, so I raced up and then got did my gi check, got weighed in, and then before I knew it, I was fighting. So, yeah, I remember having we we had been waiting all day. Everything had been delayed, been pushed back. And yeah. I, I was sitting there thinking like, OK, I've been drinking water, trying to stay hydrated. You know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this, but I'm still nervous. And I goes, OK, you know, I'm going to go ahead and head over here and go to the bathroom because I knew what Matt I was supposed to be on. So, you know, I'm just kind of hovering around there and. You know, it was a little, it was a small local competition. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, start going, you know, walk to the bathroom. I'm all the way around. I'm to the bathroom and I hear my name and report to Matt Five. Oh, I like, gosh. I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, well, look, let's just go out there and do it and just try it. I was like, don't get choked unconscious because you will pee yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, yeah that that's my biggest fear is uh, i think going out there getting choked unconscious and then just pissing on the mat <laughs> and uh, it'll, it'll never go away they'll they're yeah. like oh is that that guy who pissed himself yeah it is let's go get an autograph <laughs> like, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> like leave me alone like i have trauma <laughs> I, I still can't sleep um, do you know what though i did the ivjjf spanish national last year and um this was in madrid actually and i was it was my second comp at blue belt i my first competition at blue belt was the european masters in barcelona my second competition was um the spanish national and i was up against a really tough opponent really tough and um i had to tap out because she was choking me and what was really scary is i was tapping and the fight wasn't stopping and I'm like, I, I was tapped, I must have tapped about six times and the fight didn't stop. And I was I was like, what's going on here? Why is it not stopping? And then when I watched the footage back, um, I mean, the girl did nothing wrong. Um, she, The ref was like probably looking at some pretty girl on the other mat and didn't see that I was actually tapping. But when, like, because I'm all for verbally tapping as well because like wrist locks, foot locks, arm bars, they can go on really quickly. And... Um, I couldn't tap because she was actually sat on my, I couldn't verbally tap because she was sat, physically sat on my face. So I'm like tapping and she's like looking at the ref to say, you know, she's tapping, but you know, she didn't, she didn't do anything wrong because you are meant to wait until the ref says, okay, stop. Because just in case the other person isn't very sports, doesn't have very good sportsmanship and says, oh, I didn't actually tap. So she's like, come on, she's tapping. And there's me going like this, thinking, why is this fight not stopping? But if, if it was an arm bar, I would have broken my arm without a doubt. But yeah, that, that was a bit scary. 
I have a few posts that I put up on Instagram, you know, at various times of, and I, I don't even really notice. I just see a technique. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then later on, I see the comments. They're like, whoa, what a terrible ref. That that girl is out. And, you know, she was tapping. He didn't even stop the fight. So for all I know, you might be one of those videos. Uh, <laughs> I'm go back and check now. But that that's a scary thing, though, too, because, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And she's doing, you know, what she's supposed yeah. to be doing. There's three people there that that need to all be in sync in that yeah, right yeah you know whether it be you know they're not focused they're not paying attention they don't realize it's a tap or they or it's a bad angle i think there's a ufc card yeah. recently um oh it, it was the uh khabib and um justin gaethje fight where justin was tapping but I, I think the ref just had a bad angle you know a lot of people were when i reposted it a lot of people were there were a couple of people were saying that it was a bad ref job and it looked like the ref was just in a bad angle. Cause I think he tapped in several different, it's almost like every time he tapped the ref moved to a different spot where he couldn't see. And it's like, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna tap over here and the ref moved somewhere else. And then before long, he was just out. So I, I've never gone out. I, I've seen teammates go out, you know, during training I've, I've had teammates go out during competitions, which in my mind, I was just like, you are a different breed of human. That is <laughs> right. Like, Cause it, it, but then I don't, I've been close. I've been close in training and it wasn't really a matter of, I'm not going to tap. It's just, I was trying to wait to see, can I get out of this? Yeah. And then when I yeah. felt my hands going like kind of numb, I was like, Oh no, how, how do I, can, can I tap with my feet? Can I like, Oh no, I got to, something help i i would probably i don't know if i would have handled that very well being in your position i didn't yeah. go out i wasn't out thank god but good if it, right. but i was i i did it did make me think god if this was an arm bar then i would have a broken arm it's, and it, was the, it was the angle but the ref needed to be but the girl was looking up at him like come on come on she's tapping yeah it, i think that's another thing too and I guess it's a weird area because, you know, if the person who's applying the submission is like, hey, they're tapping, you know, the ref, you, you know, again, has to somewhat be aware or try to be in the right position and or, you know, get to it quick. Because, like you said, if it's an arm bar, if it's if it's a ankle lock, if it's yeah. a wrist lock, which I, I think a wrist lock is one of those ones. Th there's no that that's a quick one. Verbal yeah. tap it is because. Yeah. I'm the first to admit I have really, really, really weak wrists, and I I talk a lot of trash about wrist locks. <laughs> I hate <laughs> wrist locks so much. My coach, whenever I roll with him, I remember he and I rolled, and I think he wrist locked me in a five-minute or four-minute window. He had to wrist lock me six times, and from that point on, I made it a point to never get wrist locked again. Yeah. Like, as soon as I feel anyone grab my arm, I stiffen my my whole like wrist and hand. Is like you ain't doing this on me today, and <laughs> and even now, like that's his goal. Like we'll roll, and he grabs my hand immediately, and I'm like, Nah, dude, you ain't wrist locking me because I, I have weak wrist. Number one and number two, I have weak wrist. I just I'm not <laughs> built for the wrist lock world. And and the worst thing is though, I turn around, I try to do it to other people. 
<laughs> like, don't wrist lock me, don't wrist lock me. Okay, but I'm gonna do it to you. Yeah, and and it, it, but no one has to worry because I'm not very good at it. Every time I try, it's just so piss poor. Like I'm, I'm certain the person that I'm trying to wrist lock. They look at me like, "What the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> like why are you holding my hand right now? Like, <laughs> get out of here." Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. Definitely. I yeah, I'll I'll probably have to at, after lunch today practice on my daughter. Just like, hey. <laughs> Come here, kid. Let's see. Like, hey, does this hurt? And my my daughter, she she's a tough kid, so she probably wouldn't even say anything. She was like, uh, that didn't feel good. It's like, yeah, baby, you gotta tap to that. You can't just let me do that. Oh, okay. But yeah, that's that's the beauty of having a kid here, is I get to practice jujitsu on her. <laughs> so right now besides COVID being one of the bigger challenges going on. And I uh, believe you said uh, your knee um, is healing yeah. up right now. Uh, are there any other, you know, you know, current challenges that are kind of ailing you or just waiting to get that knee healed up and the world to stop being COVIDed? Um, it's mainly my knee and just taking care of my mental health and making sure my mindset is on point because um, being injured affected me m mentally really badly, really, really badly because I was training about eight times a week. I was competing a lot. And then to suddenly go from that to nothing was really, really hard. Um, yeah, so I do a lot of mindset training. I read a lot about mindset. Um, and that also really helps me with competing. And funny enough, I actually started mindset training, I think, two or three years before I got into jiu-jitsu. Um, I always knew I was going to leave the UK. I just didn't know where I was going to. And I actually thought it would be the States. Um, when my, where, I think I'd been a, oh, there's some really bad pictures of me on Instagram. I'm like, I, I describe myself as the... Um, the Simon Cowell of jiu-jitsu because I tied my belt like really high and I went to California this was in 2015 I think it was and I trained with Chande and um, Saulo at the University of Jiu-Jitsu we did like a road trip around California but we ended up in we finished in San Diego and there's just there's just pictures of me with Saulo and Chande and my belt is just like up here because like, I've got really small hips and in IBJJF comps where they, they check your belt length, I've always got to like, like the smallest belt. Because I'm not, I'm not a small person, but I just did just have a bit of a strange body. I don't have any hips. And so I tie my belt like in a strange way. My knot's really strange and I tie it too high. And um, I forgot what the question, where am I going with this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Oh, that was it. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've just got in my head this burnt image of these pictures of me in California. Just oh, just ter terrible white belt. I was an absolute terrible white belt. But um, something I learned from being in California and training there is that fundamentals never get old. Never get old. So I was. Um, I knew I wasn't a very good white belt. I was just right at the beginning of my journey. Um, so to share the mats with like 
multiple time world champions was like a real privilege. Um, but to see that they were having fundamental classes and blue belts, purple belts, etc., were attending fundamental classes really drilled home the importance of having good fundamentals. And they just never get old. The fundamentals never get old. And while, while I was over there, actually, I applied for a teaching position at the University of California, Irvine. Sadly, I didn't get it. Um, but there's so much divide now with whether it's politics, race, etc. in the US that um, it's probably better that it, it's just kind of sad how things are there. Because I used to be so obsessed with the States. My pet grandparents visited 29 times before my grandmother passed away. So oh. growing up, yeah, my growing up, they love, they love the States. And um when I, from, I remember from the age of about seven, being really aware that they were going to the US all the time. So it must be this like incredible place. And I thought, I, I have to live in America. I have to live. I hadn't visited. Um, my first trip to the US was, I think, in 2012. I went to New York and I was quite disappointed because it was just like London, but a bit more, it's a bit more spread out. Um, but California, I, I, I did I did like California. I thought it was really, really nice. But one thing I don't understand, I don't know if this is in all states, I can't remember if it was the same in Miami, but like you'd go and like buy a bottle of water, for example, and it'll say like a dollar on it. And, but you don't pay a dollar, they add on tax and then recycling tax. So it's like, how, how do you know how much anything is? I found that really confusing. So, just about all the states have taxes. There's some states that don't have taxes on things. Although, like Delaware, I, I'm in Maryland, and Delaware mm -hmm. is, you know, right on the border. We, we border each other. So if you go to Delaware, they don't have um, sales tax, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I noticed, and, and I could be wrong in this. Maybe I just noticed it on one thing, you know, and I could be incorrect. But Let's say there's a soda here and it's a dollar. Mm -hmm. The sales tax would be six cents. So it would be a dollar six. So in Delaware, instead of having that same soda for a dollar and then you add your sales tax of six cents, they just sell it for a dollar six. And yeah, they say no there's no tax. So, um, you know, ultimately you're still paying the same thing. It's just elsewhere, you know, some states might have a higher tax. I think Maryland's used to be five five percent. So, you know, if you buy something for a dollar, you know, you pay a nickel extra. And I don't know. They 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 made these rules, and I wasn't there to be consulted. So <laughs> I just go with them now because sometimes I just found it really strange because it's like, why don't you just put on the ticket on the label what it is with all of that included? Because I'm thinking, well, how much is I mean, people must have just thought I was an idiot because I was just saying like this bottle. I remember buying a bottle of water and let's just say for argument's sake it was a dollar. I can't remember how much it was. And I I went with just the dollar and the, the dude on the till was like, no, it's however much because of this and that. And I think he just felt sorry for me because I was foreign and <laughs> didn't know how things worked. And he let me have the water for a dollar. So shout out to him. Can't remember his name, but... <laughs> Yeah, he was, he was nice. That That's, I don't know. It That's a thing that just being here, you know, all my life, it just kind of going with it, 
but there are times I sit there and think like, Hey man, like, why are you like, why not just say it's this much instead of, you know, again saying, okay, it's a dollar plus the tax. I think though, that's part of what gets some people in sales though, or that, that you trick some people where you say it's a dollar 99 instead of saying it's $2, you know, yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and you say it's a dollar ninety nine, and you know you're gonna have your tax. So really, you're gonna be paying what, um, you know, two twelve. You, you know, so or or two eleven. Constantly having to calculate things. It's just. Yeah, you'd think yeah. we'd be better at math over here, but <laughs> no. Um, but it, yeah, that that's in again. Not every state has you know, it has a sales tax, but I think what they do is they just, you know, have the price up to what it would have been if there were a tax. At least that's what I noticed in Delaware. And like I said, I could be wrong. Maybe I just imagined it. I don't know. Like I like I I things happen and I just kind of carry on. I'm like, and then I'll recount the story. I'm like, hey, I'm pretty sure this happened. And they're like, no, it didn't. Oh, okay, maybe it didn't. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like I was telling someone a story about, you know, when I first watched UFC, I was like, yeah, I watched UFC one like live. And I'm like, no, you didn't. We got VHS from the video store. And then we watched number five, you know, on pay-per-view live. I was like, oh, really? Well, okay. Well, hey, I've had a lot of concussions. I don't remember <laughs> so, so well. Quit picking on me. So it's whatever. I, it's such as life. So did, before doing jujitsu, did you like, did you play any sports prior or you yeah, know, have was, you always been competitive? I was a high jumper and a sprinter. Yeah. I love athletics or oh, track and field as you call it. Yeah. I love uh, athletics. I'm always curious about anyone that gets into jujitsu, you know, in, in their previous experience with athletics. I had a young man come in to our adult class. He was 26. Mm -hmm. And at the time, coach would ask me to help the newer students, you know, like, you know, day one students. And this young man had never done anything athletic in his life. Yeah. So, and that's where that question started popping up in my head more and more. I was like, I wonder who's done what? Because, you know, we have a few guys who have played um, American football. You know, we have a few guys who play soccer. Well, soccer here, but football there. Um, yeah. we, we, you know, we have you know, a few people who wrestle, you know, yeah. wrestlers are the big one, which I just, you know, good for them, but I don't like them because they come in and they beat, the, <laughs> they beat the crap out of me. And I'm just like, oh man, like, well, at least yeah. I know they have no submissions yet. So I can get them with something sneaky, but until then they're just going to throw me around. But I'm always curious about people's athletic past because, you know, I, I like to know that you just, you know, people just walked into jiu-jitsu just out of the blue, like, yeah, I think I'm going to try this. Or, you know, one sport ran its course and now it's time to jump to something new. Yeah. So I wouldn't say I was re. I did. I did compete a lot in athletics, but I wouldn't say I was anywhere near as competitive as I am in jiu-jitsu. Um, mm -hmm. But again, that could be my memory playing tricks on me because I was a lot younger. I was a lot younger when I did it. But yeah, I'm I am competitive in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I, d I don't compete for experience. I compete to win and I compete to improve. But I have the mindset of um, always learning. I, I really have a growth mindset. I'm really open to, you know, 
if something doesn't work, I think, well, why doesn't it work? Not just that I'll never be able to do it. Um, at the beginning, though, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not being hard on myself. I was really, really bad. I was a crap white belt. Um, but my my partner understands how I learn. And um, I often see techniques on Instagram and I'll bookmark them. And I'll say to him, do you think I'll be able to do this? Do you think this could be part of my game? He'll be like, yes, no, no, no. Look at that person. They're not even defending. Forget that. That won't, that won't work. But yeah, I, I am really competitive and I've always got the the mindset of wanting to, to improve. One of my, my, actually my best training partner is um, a girl called Amanda. And interestingly, she's never, she'd never done martial arts before, but she was a very, very high level dancer. She was a contemporary dancer. She trained, often danced for eight or nine hours a day. And although that's um, not martial arts or athletics or anything like that, what she's very, very good at from dance is putting together sequences because she had to remember so many sequences of moves. So where I kind of like go blank and think, oh, gosh, what's next? Or she, she will remember everything. And she's a great training partner because for that reason as well. Yeah, that actually makes perfect sense. Uh- just because, again, like you said, the sequences and I, I think being a dancer to in a lot of things in, in that regard, you have to be coachable. Yeah. And I think that's I, my um, wife. She used to nanny and one of the girls, she's the girl who's grown up now, was a dancer and very good at that. She I think she just got burned out. But I, I've I'm always big um like i always try to encourage everyone to train especially the females in my life i want them all to be able to defend themselves um males too but you know especially females um you know it's like i you know want to tell her you know try to check out jiu-jitsu you know since she you know got out of dance and everything just you know to have something to continue with you know just being physical yeah and hearing that, you know, now it definitely makes sense and something I'm going to probably message her later on about like, hey, Ab, like, go go try this. Hurry. Like, because it's on my mind and I'm thinking about it now. So go do it. Hurry. Offer the mats. What are some, some things that you like to do when you're not grappling? Weightlifting, powerlifting. I like powerlifting. I like doing um, squats, deads and bench press. All help my jiu-jitsu anyway, but I did, I did, I, actually, I did didn't mention that I did do lifting before I did jiu-jitsu. And with my recovery for my knee, lifting is quite important as well. Um, I love documentaries. I love crime documentaries. Um, if ever I left academia, I think I'd be a friend, forensic linguistic an- analyst, which is someone who works with the police. And um, when you have a suspect being interviewed, you analyze their body language, but particularly their language. And I would love to do something like that if I left academia. Yeah. So then with uh, the documentaries and everything, do you like the serial killer documentaries or just like specific? Okay. All right. I I, I just find it, I find this like, this like, I find people fascinating Mm -hmm. and the psychology 
of people really really fascinating and human behavior and what motivates people and what motivates people to act in certain ways um but I've, i think i've always been interested in stuff like that rather than disney and i did i did, I did speak to my mom because i did watch disney when i was younger but i couldn't tell you I mean, I, I remember Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but I can't remember much else because when I was a kid, I was really fascinated by language. Like my, my, my partner always makes fun of me because um, we have this thing in England called teletext and it was, I think the best way to explain it, it um, you have like channels. We had, when I was growing up, I think we only had four channels on the TV and then we had five, but then on you had you were able to press this button and you were able to access all these other pages on the tv that um but 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 through the channels it's not nothing like netflix or freeview or anything like you have now and um you could get the lottery numbers and i would always go on to page four i'm so sad i remember the page page 419 on channel four and it was a language page and it had the words of the day and I would get my notebook and I'd write down this word and I'd try and use it in a sentence and I was like 10. <laughs> so my, boy, my boyfriend takes the piss out of me and says well when I was 10 I had friends and I was playing I was playing soccer you were writing down words and trying to use them in a sentence but I've always been fascinated with language it, it really really does fascinate me and that's obviously led me into the career that um, I'm I'm in now. So it's not all been bad. He's not a famous soccer player. Well, I'm not famous either, but um, it's it served me well. But I, I really am interested in and analysing language, analysing behaviour, and that kind of thing. So yeah, <laughs> I, think I was a weird kid to be honest. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as say it was weird as much as it's. You definitely are authentically yourself. Um, like when I was 10, I don't know what I was doing when I was 10, but I know it was nothing near that. I remember <laughs> my grandmother for Christmas got me a bunch of books. I don't know if these books were even for me. They might have been for my little brothers. I don't know. Um, but I remember it was this book. It was a pop-up book about Japan. Uh -huh. And it had, you know, you know, different words in there. And I remember briefly you know trying to learn those words and then saying i'm gonna learn japanese one day and you know after that ran its course you know what maybe two weeks i was like all right cool i'm gonna go play nintendo now because like i don't want to learn japanese but then later on in life i told myself i'm gonna learn italian and this was after like high school you know after getting out of school and i had a routine where i would come home from work I would lift weights. I would run on a treadmill. You know, I, you know, I would work out whether one one yeah. thing or the other. Then after that, I would sit down for an hour and go over sight words in Italian. And I, I was doing pretty well for the most part. Then one of my coworkers uh, at the school, she's Italian, and oh, no way. you know, I started kind of going over what I've been learning. And I guess there are two different dialects and I was learning the one that she doesn't speak. She was like, yeah, that's all wrong here. I'm just, she's like, look, I'm just gonna only speak to you in Italian while we're here at work. And 
you're going to learn. And she really just cussed at me a lot. She just said all the bad words because I would mess up and she would just say horrible things. I was like, okay, I don't think I like this anymore. Let's just speak English because <laughs> I know you won't cuss in front of the kids in English. So like, stop, please. I'm scared. Actually, I consider myself quite fortunate because when I started high school in the UK, I think the age now is 11, but I was, I think I was 12. Yeah, I was 12. And it was, I went to a free school. You didn't have to pay. And we call them state schools. And it was compulsory in your first year to learn Spanish, French, German and Latin. And then for the second year, you had to choose two languages. So I chose French and Spanish. And for our, we call them GCSEs. I think you call them SATs in the US. It's yes. um, by you have you had to take one language. So I was doing Spanish and French, but in Spanish the accents the tilde's only go one way. Um, but in French they they go the other way as well. And I was writing Spanish with uh, putting in French accents. I thought I can't be doing with this. So I got rid of French, um, stuck with Spanish, and. Um, my undergraduate degrees in Spanish and English literature. And I always, always wanted to be a, um, a lecturer in 19th century Spanish literature. For someone who's got an English literature degree, I wouldn't say I'm very well read at all, but I'm very well read in 19th century Spanish literature. So I was, I've always studied what I've enjoyed because I, I knew when I was in high school that I wanted to go to university, but I didn't have a particular career in mind at that point. So like, obviously, if you, you know, you want to be a doctor or a dentist, you study medicine or dentistry. So I, did, I just thought, well, it's going to step up a level now. So I'm going to do what I enjoy, which is English literature and Spanish. But because I don't, I'm not really into politics or history, for the Spanish side of my degree, I chose all the literature modules, which was um, South American literature and 19th century Spanish literature. But because I was also studying in English literature, literature, I was on four books a week and it was just it was too much. So like I would read some. I'm actually friends with some of my professors now, so they might re hear this and be like, oh, right. OK, then. Um, <laughs> and. Um, I'd read more like summaries of the, the texts I had to know for the English side of my degree. But for the Spanish ones, because we had to cite the texts in Spanish, I had to know them. So I'm very well read in 19th century Spanish literature. And I always said I want to be a lecturer, lecturer in that. But then after I graduated, I didn't really know. I wanted a break, actually. I wanted a break because my degree was four years. Um, I, and in the UK you can't study a foreign language and graduate without spending your third year in, in a country um, that speaks that language. So I chose to go to Valencia, I went to the University of Valencia for my Erasmus year, and that was cool. I came back and I did my final year and I just needed a break. And then I decided that I'd get into teaching English as a foreign language. And then it just all went from there really. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you were built different than most people I know. So like, just it, like, in that <laughs> sense, we're just like, wow. Like just everything you're saying, I'm like, wow. Like that, that just sounds. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I sound, I might sound intelligent, but I do still push doors that say pull. So. Yeah. Oh no, I do that all the time. <laughs> that, that's pretty much a norm for me. I, I also can't walk and shoot gum at the same time either. And 
if people are like, that's not true. No, it is actually a fact. <laughs> I I can't like if you ask me to walk a straight line while chewing gum, not gonna happen. Like I could probably do it for about four steps, and then I start to kind of veer off. Even if there's a line in front of, like you know, it's just hey, we we all have our quirks, but yeah. that just that just sounds. As I'm listening to this, I'm just thinking like, dude, like I need to get out more in in no i i need to get out more because i'm always inside i'm always inside if i'm not training i'm reading i'm not i'm not really i'm not really that sociable if i'm honest i i that's not i know that's not really the vibe i give off but i am actually quite introverted um but no i i do need to get out more i really do but um my from um from the stuff I've done in teaching, my real, real passions are materials writing. So um, before I, I got my job in Spain based on what I was doing in the UK, in the UK and that was um, designing courses from scratch. I specialize in English for academic purposes. So if you have, for example, um, some students who are coming over from another country, but they they might have a good level of English, but they don't know the academic conventions of the UK. The, the US has these programs as well. Um, they usually run over the summer, but at the universities I've worked at in the UK, they, they take students all year. And you, it's not just about the students improving their English, it's about them knowing um, things like referencing conventions, in some countries it's very common to plagiarize and that's okay that's not okay in the us it's not okay in the uk it's not okay in a lot of places so i design courses from scratch um based on the subject the student is going to study um the hardest one i've done is medicine and anatomy because i'm not a doctor but thankfully i've only done that for uh first and second year medical students so it's kind of manageable but I really wish that in terms of my jiu-jitsu, I could absorb knowledge like I can from reading a book. So um, because I don't feel, learn jiu-jitsu visually, I just I can see it. I think I understand it and then I do it all wrong. Um, so I write down each step and that sounds very time consuming. It is pretty time consuming, but it's how I remember. Otherwise, I will not remember. So unfortunately, that kind of skill that I have in academia does not translate to my jiu-jitsu. But hey, we can't do everything. Well, I mean, look, it counts for something, though. So I, I think of it that way. Can you teach jiu-jitsu? Well, I was I was helping my partner teach kids classes. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm not entirely sure I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> well, I, I would teach something wrong. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I, I don't deserve a blue belt. I was, yeah. But what I find it, what I do find difficult is, for example, if I'm paired with someone and they ask me a question, I can't answer the question until I put myself physically in the same position they are in. Um, whereas obviously my coach who's been training for, um, 11 years or so, and is a black belt in competition, he gives me really exact advice. Um, so in competition, um, going back to that topic, I've learned to tune out noise. So I only hear his voice because you'll hear like people who aren't even Brazilian shouting, Boa! like every five seconds. And then you'll have the woman or the man on the loudspeaker saying, uh, Jake Dante to Matt Five. So I've learned to tune all of that out. 
um, and only listen to my coach. And he gives, he will say, Tiana, grab the right wrist and underhook the left leg, for example. Um, whereas I've had, I've heard other coaches who'll just say sweep get the sweep well what sweep there are loads of sweeps but because my my because my partner knows me so well and he knows how I learn um he gives me very very exact instructions and he can see what's happening very very quickly because in jiu-jitsu everything moves very very quickly even more so in um competition um so sometimes he'll give me really exact instructions but then obviously that then we're in then a different position where that doesn't apply but he's right on it and he'll tell me what to do next so yeah well that and that sounds like that's one of those things i always think about in competitions too when someone's screaming instructions you know it's either you know like you said just get the sweep or you know do this versus you know grab the wrist or you know you know you know grab the you know same side lapel you know, and now go for this, you know, you know, exact instructions. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I also have those issues sometimes with working with the kids class and helping them where we're doing something. I'm like, um, I don't know if this is right. So <laughs> I, I work with the, our youngest group now. So we're just showing them the bare basics, but the juniors, mm -hmm. the older kids, when it comes to them, it's like, I think these kids could probably teach this class better than I could. So. <laughs> But, the, but it yeah, helps you learn. I thought I found that um, yes. it, it did help me learn. Definitely. definitely. I, I agree. I feel like that's part of why my coach asked me to help with the kids because mm -hmm. um, I was still a white belt, but I was, yeah. you know, far enough along where, you know, it, it was getting close to that blue belt. And I think me working with the kids was just kind of that fine tuning that I needed because then I would use a lot of stuff I was teaching the kids. I would use it during roles yeah. like during class um and I, I think you know from that point every time you know we would teach class you know especially if i'm having to instruct you know the the newer group of kids it was stuff that i was just putting in my catalog and carrying over to training later that night for myself so i think it's beneficial teaching yeah uh, teaching the kids teaching anyone really because it it makes you focus more because if you have to explain it to someone you don't want to just half-ass it you you don't want to say yeah, yeah. you know all right this is guard here get get in my guard and you know first you got you know explain all right when they're in your guard all right what you're doing you know and that's where i started realizing oh when they're in my guard they're, my legs aren't just there like i need to you know, my legs need to be engaged you know i can't yeah. just be sitting there loose and limp because they'll just get out of my guard and I was like, okay, so explaining that to, you know, to someone or even explaining, you know, if I try to break their posture down, I use my legs to pull them forward, mm -hmm. you know, versus just saying, okay, you're just going to pull them because that's not going to work. If I just pull their lapel and try to yank them down, they're just sitting up. But if you, you know, pull the lapel and use your legs to move them, you know, and explaining that to people is like, oh shit, now that's what I need to do. Okay. I, I get it now. I've got pretty good actually at coaching people during roles, particularly new, newer people. So like if my partner is, if we've got quite a few new people in the class and my partner supervising some, some others, um, I'm quite good at 
I can tell people what they're doing wrong and teach them something if I see how they've done it wrong initially. So then I can correct them. But I that I find that a lot easier than just like, oh, show me whatever move, if you see what I mean. So when I see yes. how they're doing it, I will take them to a side afterwards and say, this didn't work because you didn't have the, um, the trade didn't go on because you, you needed a deeper grip or um or what, whatever it may be but it helps if i see how they're what mistakes they're making first mm-hmm. but i still don't really think i should be teaching uh, jiu-jitsu to anyone i think i should stick to academia <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised though i mean it's those little things where again you might get someone that comes in they've never done this before or they've done it maybe two three classes or even for two three months you have more knowledge than them and even just with that knowledge like you said, seeing where they're messing up and then helping them through that with those corrections, that goes a long way. Because there, there are times where I'm like, I should not be teaching anyone anything ever. Like, and I, <laughs> I was a teacher at one point and I'm still like, I should never be teaching children how to count. <laughs> but people can definitely, you know, take a lot of, you know, info from you just, just in a, you know, little details. You know, it, yeah, I, it, it all matters. My my partner nicknames me the mother hen of the, the gym that's close. We have two gyms. The one that's closest to where we live, I'm like the mother hen because when new people come in, um, some he I think I kind of try and treat them how I would have liked to have been treated right at the beginning. So it's really easy when you've been doing jiu-jitsu or like, for example, in my case, I was traveling around the UK with my partner. I had no experience, but I knew that when you tap, you have to tap out. And But somebody who's never done jiu-jitsu before, who walks into your academy and they learn a submission, they may not know that you've got to tap. So I will say, I, I will say to new people, okay, if you feel any discomfort, you have to tap. And that means the other person will stop immediately. It's so obvious to us, but it's not actually obvious to people who've never done it in their life, know nothing about it, you know. So, um, yeah, so I, I kind of take the new people under my wing a bit. But I still, but I don't try, don't teach them things. I will always ask if anyone needs to see the technique again. Um, usually, that always helps me. It's always <laughs> I had to. I, I sent a meme to my um, my training partners, and it was basically an apology because, like, um, it, the meme was like when when your coach um, is using you as an uki to demonstrate a nasty submission, and your friend wants to see it again. That's always me. That's always me. So the other the other day during the juniors class, our um, the other coach he was showing them the triangle off of Delahiva, mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> he does it once, and like I'm behind him at this point. I was like, does anybody need to see it? Or no? First he goes he goes over a couple different things from uh, De La Hiva, just kind of verbally explaining it. Then he goes, and then there's a triangle from De La Hiva. You know, you guys know that. And he goes, anybody need to see it? And I'm standing behind him, shaking my head. No, no one needs to see this. And, you know, of course, hands go up. So he shows it. He, you know, you know, he's gentle with it, but my neck is kind of not the best. So <laughs> he, he locks in the triangle you know, I, I give a quick tap, you know, again, it's not tight, but still. And then um, 
He goes, does anybody need to see it again? I'm standing behind him, eyes wide, just shaking my head. No, you don't need to see it again. (laughs) (laughs) If anybody says they need to see it again, we're all doing burpees. Um, (laughs) But I I am that guy, too, that I need to see it again. But usually there's someone else. So I wait for them to say it. And if they don't, I'm like, okay, you know what? Okay, I need to see it again, please. Like, just show it to me one more time, and then I'm going to pretend that I understood it, and then I'm going to go over there and physically mess it up until I call you over and say, "Hey, okay, I'm going to look. I'm going to be honest. I'm a little dumb. I didn't get it. Can you show? Can you like walk me through it? Hold my hand. All right, move my arm here for me, please. Thank you. Because I don't. Yeah, get that, it. That, that's what I do. But I think sometimes people don't necessarily want to say that um, they want to see the technique again because my my coach teaches in English, but obviously we're in Spain. And there are some people who don't have, uh, well, their English has got a hell of a lot better, but I translate where necessary between Spanish and English. But because I'm making sure, I'm so focused on making sure the students understand, when I come to do the technique myself, I can't sometimes even remember where we're starting from. Um, So he'll come over to me and watch me do it first because I've been translating and making sure everyone's understood what, you know what we need to do and it is those tiny tiny details because like you can learn visually but if it's like something as small as doing lifting your elbow up higher when you're doing a guillotine it it can make all the difference so those are the those particular details I make sure that are translated into Spanish so that people you know not just being when you say do you understand you know you don't they don't do the very British polite smile and nod thing um that they do actually understand because otherwise you have to regroup and then demonstrate it again so those little details do make all the difference even on just you know something like i said with like having someone in your guard and having your your legs engaged you know just explaining that you know that small detail or you having a you know a cross collar grip and you know moving your hand up maybe half an inch higher something like yeah. that so those little details you know they really matter and we don't realize it until you know we're out there doing it, it yeah. you know or seeing someone mess it up as well so that's that's always good to know and understand just it's like those details do matter but yeah. there's a time and place though for some some details like the elbow you know raising the elbow you know on the guillotine that's a detail that you know the time and place is you know in the beginning or you know then when you need it because if you don't and you're wondering well why isn't this working yeah. oh you know lift your elbow okay now it works because you always get yeah. that person that says oh this doesn't work jiu-jitsu doesn't work and it's like no it does if you're doing it right if you're doing it right absolutely so that's, you know, that that's my little um, piece of advice to the world. Jiu-jitsu does work if you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm actually going to go and spray paint that on a wall somewhere. Probably get in a lot of trouble out here, but, eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> what are they going to do? Catch me and fight me? No, I know jiu-jitsu. Uh, I had another question, but I forgot. Because uh, as we spoke earlier on, it's like, hey, uh, it, it has something to do with Disney. But we, we, you know, we went on, you know, a good run. And I was like, oh, I forgot it. It doesn't matter, though, because honestly, I don't care about Disney neither. Like, <laughs> like my daughter does. I mean, you know, we were watching Toy Story 
when we first got down here. So that it's like there, there's something. I do like Toy Story, actually. I do like Toy Story. Yeah. When I when I used to teach, one of the years for our end of end of the year or our spring concert, we had to sing. Um, You've got a friend of me uh, from Toy mm-hmm. Story, and we practiced that song so fucking much. I hate that song now. <laughs> I hear it and I get angry because the the teacher who was in charge of the program, she was very like, just like I can't think of a description as far as like her tone and like just her aggression. Just like. It, I'm always, whether it's in jiu-jitsu or whether we're in my classroom, whether it's with my daughter or, you know, any anyone, it, people in general, I'm not going to show my frustration. Mm. Like, if you're getting it wrong, I'm not going to visually sigh, you know, sigh really loud and, you know, throw my hands up because I, I feel like that discourages the other person. It does, yeah. Um, it, it, it at least it, it's it has done that for me in the past. So I try to do my best not to do that. And this teacher, she would always do that. She would throw the papers down, or you know, it, it was it was always a shit show. And I remember finally we got it. All the kids, we had four classrooms. Finally, all the kids got it. And it was one of those things where we were like. There's this this moment of like yes, you know we achieved something, mm. but the cost to that is for me at least. I hate that song so much, and anytime <laughs> I hear the song, I think of that teacher. I love those students. Some of those students I'm still in touch with. That like this was back in 2001. You know, and you know I still know some of those students now um, as adults. Like, again, my wife she was a nanny for three of those kids and you know we're all like friends now um but it, it's friend in them. <laughs> <laughs> See how Sorry, it, it came around really <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny because uh what two of them are the the oldest boy it, he was in my class and his sister who was the middle child was in my now my wife's class you know, then my girlfriend, now my wife, she was in her class and then the family pulled her to nanny, be nanny for their youngest and, Mm -hmm. you know, the older two as well. So, you know, we grew with that family. And when the boy turned 21, he wanted us all to go out drinking and celebrate. And my wife was pregnant (laughs) with our daughter. So I was like, sorry, can't go. Um, And then, you know, again, the middle child, she babysat our daughter. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, Hey, we used to watch you as a kid and now you watch our kid and who knows down the line, maybe our kid will watch your kid um, type deal. We'll keep it all connected. And then the youngest one, I just talked to her two weeks ago and it, it was really, it was really cool. Just, I remember when they were kids and the first time you have a conversation with them where it's a, a back and forth, like they're talking about something that they're knowledgeable about and you're learning something from them. That was really, that was a special moment to me. Just hearing the the, the middle one when she was seven, we were talking about um, one of her school projects, and it, it was had something to do with clouds. Um, I, I couldn't tell you because I 
I did a project on clouds when I was in school too, and I still don't know nothing. <laughs> but she like she was just so excited about it, and just her eyes lit up. And I, and I remember just things like, dude, like this is so cool. Like I remember you were that kid that you couldn't sleep at nap time in your classroom, so Miss Sarah had to bring you up to my classroom so I could put your mat next to your brother so you would go to sleep. And now here we are having this, you know, detailed conversation about clouds that I'm not going to ever remember. And then, <laughs> uh, and then you know, you know, fast forward to you know what, 14 years after that, it's like you're babysitting my kid, and it, it's just it all connects, and it's it's yeah, yeah all it's because of Toy Story. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Either way it goes. I, I do enjoy the Toy Story movies. I just, I hate that song. And I, I want to go find Randy Newman, the one, the, the man who, who sings that song. And just like, dude, can, can we, can you find some way to take the rights to that song and make sure it's never, ever played again? Please do this for me. I'll be your best friend. Well, Tiana, uh, just kind of in closing, I want to ask, one question, you know, as it pertains to early training, is there anything that you would, any piece of advice you would say to someone coming in new to jujitsu that maybe you wish, you know, you would have been told earlier on yourself or kind of guided in the direction? Absolutely. I would say it's okay to be crap at it it's okay to suck you're gonna you're gonna get tapped and there's nothing wrong with that it's like medicine you don't want to take it but you need it and just never give up because um I think sometimes it's really easy to forget that you're progressing um and I would encourage people to compete if they can um even if it's just once and you might decide it's it's not for you or that you do like it um, and if you don't compete, um, that's absolutely fine. I would recommend um, filming your roles in the gym because you may not think you're getting better. But when you watch back footage of yourself, as I do now, I think, what the hell was I doing? And, I, and we're only talking like since a bit before I did in my ACL. And that was my last competition was in November. And I obviously haven't competed since. But you can still, you can still learn injured and so filming and not being hard on yourself and understanding that it takes a good 10 years to get a black belt on average for a reason so for anyone new coming into, into the world of jiu-jitsu you will suck at first um but don't give up keep going keep turning up um map time's really important and don't be hard on yourself just keep at it i wish that I would have heard that in the beginning too. So that's, I think that is important for people to understand that it's okay. I think a lot of people don't try jujitsu or yeah. anything new for that matter, because they don't want to be seen, you know, at the bottom of the barrel or not being good. So I think that is important. So thank you for that. Um, so I've read your blog. Did you, do you want to, uh, you know, let people know where they could find that if you, you know, want to share that or any other ways of locating you and getting a hold of you. Yeah, I'm on um, Instagram as Tiana underscore Taylor. 
underscore BJJ. And all my blogs are can be found on um, Smooth Flow Fightwear. Um, they're one of my sponsors. Um, I blog for them and I write about a number of different things. Um, I'll, I'll tag the links when these come up when this comes out. And also shout out to my other sponsors, um, Excess Guard, Mouth Guard, um, the guy behind them, Chris, he's great, really, really supportive, always checks in with me to see how my training's going, just how I'm doing in general, and I couldn't ask for any more. But I'll put those links out when, I'll tag them when this comes out. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'll put the the uh, blog link and uh, link you as well in the the notes that go with the uh, podcast in general on Facebook and Instagram also. Um, otherwise, on my end, as you all know, my regular shout outs, Jiu-Jitsu Happy Hour. Those ladies, Stephanie and Michelle, they, they drop an episode every Sunday, Pacific time at noon. And check them out. Pretty, pretty funny show. Very fun um, to listen to. I, I, I love those girls to death. They're, they're two of my favorite people that I've contacted through Instagram. It's just we have some interesting and colorful conversations at times. Um, also, check out Student of BJJ. He was a previous guest on here, a longtime friend as well to myself. Lots of great technique videos, lots of hilarious memes on his uh, Instagram and check out the website as well, studentofbjj.com. Um, also, where I got my start, Nerd Rage Radio, go give him a listen. We got a hilarious podcast, part of a, a larger network with a lot of great shows on there. I need to see about getting off the mats put on that network. Maybe I'll shoot a text after this. Um, but check those guys out, Bobby Pinkerton, Bob, Bobby and Pinkerton and Joe, not Bobby Pinkerton, uh, Bobby and Pinkerton and, and Joe, great guys, hilarious show, lots of good nerd info and, and comic book info for those of you who don't know a whole lot, like my guests here, <laughs> <laughs> you know, go check them out and, and get I'll yourself in the mail. my partner to them because he, he loves comics. Hey, uh, send them their way. Uh, you know, they, they have a good show. It's, it's, it's fun. I, I don't, I tr- I try not to miss a week um, if I can help it. But um, otherwise, thank you, everyone who's been listening. Thank you, everyone who who's, you know, shared the links. Thank you to everyone who's been a guest as well. Uh, the, the, the reason this show even works is because of the guest. So because I'm not going to sit here for an hour and talk. <laughs> I don't think I would sit here for 15 minutes and just talk. Uh, but conversation flows with two people and I definitely appreciate everyone who's been on here and and Tiana thank you for being on here with me as well we've been in contact for a few weeks trying to kind of you know get a feel and then just the other day I was like hey let's try to get together and you know do this really soon so thank you so much Uh, if anyone wants to be on the show uh, have any uh, comments concerns criticisms you know, find me on Off the Mats podcast on Instagram or bjj.wiki on Instagram as well. Or I, I have an email, but I, I'm going to be honest, I don't remember it. I just used it this morning, <laughs> but they don't, they, it might be in the Instagram. I don't know, but it's, yeah, just contact me on Instagram in one of those spots or Facebook. Uh, but thank you, everyone. And, you know, 
keep coming back and we'll keep giving you a show thanks y'all Now let me see his song.